Intelligence. Energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Brought to you by eFocus Marketing. and welcome to another episode of Intelligence. I'm Kate Barrett, the founder of eFocus Marketing, a specialist email marketing agency helping companies to use email more intelligently. Today is our Intelligence Masterclass, where we dig down into a specific email marketing topic to help you increase your results. This month, it is my absolute pleasure to welcome Skip Fedura as my guest. Skip is a fractional CMO and non-exec director with over 20 years experience on the client, agency and provider sides. Working for Dot Digital, Ogilvy One and Axiom Digital, he's helped B2B and B2C brands like BT, Fred Perry, Paul Smith and DHL have real conversations with their customers across digital channels. Skip has also been an executive director at the Dot Digital Group and a non-executive director of the UK DMA. As chair of the Responsible Marketing Committee, he continues to shape the discussion and define best practice around the responsible use of data and marketing channels. He currently works with a number of companies as a non-exec director and board advisor, helping them to protect and monetize their data assets. So Skip, welcome and thanks for taking the time to join me for today's Intelligence Masterclass. Hey Kate, thanks for having me. So Skip, you and I have known each other for more years than I care to say, but before we jump into our topic for today, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and what on earth a fractional CMO is? Well, fractional is just a fancy way of saying part-time. So I did what every CMO would do in a new role. I rebranded. So I rebranded CMO. I rebranded part-time to uh, to fractional. Um, And at first it's, um, you know, I get all kinds of questions. So so you're just a consultant. I'm not a consultant. I'm a a part-time employee of the companies I work for. So I'm I'm not going in just to do a specific project and then leave. Uh, I'm not a contractor in the sense that I don't have a, like a fixed term contract like you might find in a maternity cover or something like that. Uh, and I'm not a freelancer. And um, I like to describe freelancers as a bit transient. And sometimes that gets me in a little trouble. By transient, I don't mean flaky. Uh, what I mean is, you know, tra- uh, freelancers tend to be very craft based people. They're brought in to do a specific project, they work on a specific brief, and then they move on to the next thing. Sometimes with that agency, sometimes with a different agency. So I'm not not one of those either. I tend to work with companies that are going from startup to scale up. They need a senior marketing leader, um, but aren't ready or aren't in a financial position to pay for one full time. So they get the senior leader uh, at a, you know for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time. So I'm just a I'm just like every other employee. I'm just not there five days a week. I love that you are the consummate marketer and you have rebranded part-time into fractional. I think that's genius. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> if you just keep saying I'm genius, this podcast will go great. Absolutely. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about attribution modeling. And it's such an important topic and something that a lot of businesses really struggle with and why I wanted to bring you on today. And of course, there's lots of different ways that people approach it. So for anyone who's not sure, attribution modeling is basically the way in which you calculate which marketing touchpoint and channel has contributed to a sale and to what extent that contribution played a part. So Do you think it's just a buzzword, Skip, or is this something that we really need to be focusing in on to truly understand where that impact is coming from within our marketing strategies? No, I don't think it's a a buzzword. And in fact, um, attribution is, is probably as old as marketing itself. So, you know, the first advertisement was uh, put together by a, a fellow here in London by the name of William Caxton back in the 1476, 77, something like that. So for the last um, 600 years, well, 550 years, um, attribution has, has been a critical component of marketing. So it, it really comes down to, um, well, let's go back to William Caxton for a second. So what he did was he printed out a brochure, a flyer, probably is a better way to describe it. And it was promoting um, a, uh, a book of prayers and, and hymns that he had published 
on the printing press. He was the first person to bring the printing press uh, to to the UK. So he's got all these uh, prayer books and hymnals that he wants to sell. He uses his printing press to make this flyer, tax them up all around Westminster Abbey. And, you know, people, I say flock in. I don't know that they flocked in. But people came in, bought the bought his wares. He probably didn't care if his advertisement worked or didn't, right? He had this brand new toy. Typical guy had a brand new toy, wanted to play with it. He's got this printing <laughs> press. What can I print? I can, oh, I can print these and tack them up all over. Um, you know, he had the press, so he didn't have to pay for that. He it was an author himself, so he probably wrote it himself, didn't have to pay for that. So all he had to pay for was the paper, which at that time was quite expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, he probably used offcuts um, for the paper. So again, didn't have to pay much for it. Did it work? Did it not work? History doesn't tell us that. Um, but the next person, um, I always like to talk, talk about uh, John the Candlemaker. John is a fictional candlemaker, by the way. Um, but you can see, you know, William Caxton goes into the pub after a hard day's work, bumps into John the Candlemaker. John the Candlemaker says, Caxton, I've seen all these flowers you put up all over, all over the neighborhood. Is it working? What's it for? What's the purpose? And, you know, Caxton explains it to him. And John's thinking, well, I need to sell more candles. So he pops in the next day. They draft uh, an advert about why John's candles are better than anybody else's candles. And they put some flyers up and, and John maybe sells some more candles or doesn't sell some more candles. If he sells some more candles, the question is, was it the advertisement that drove that? Or was it the fact that, you know, it's London and it's rained for the past 30 days and it's December and it's dark all the time? You know, what, what drove those sales? Before he invests again, because of course he's going to have to pay for the advertisement, he's going to have to pay for the writing, the printing, and the paper. So for him, the investment is much higher. And at that point, that's when he started to think, am I making money with this or not? Okay, so this is where the attribution modeling comes in. It's really vital to allow you to accurately decide which marketing channels are worth you spending that budget on. You know, has the flyer worked or has talking to somebody down at the pub worked for John the Candlemaker before he then spends more budget to acquire new customers or, you know, find out what's helping to get those customers to come back again. So with his retention, but also, as you were saying, to actually understand which channels aren't working hard for your business so that you can exclude them from your marketing as you go forward. So with how people are doing attribution at the moment, what do you think is wrong with the current approach that you see a lot of people taking? I think the problem with attribution, the, the, the approach that people are taking isn't necessarily wrong. Um, mostly because I, I would hate to have all of your audience be sitting there thinking, wow, he just said I was wrong. So I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I'm saying that you've been trained to ask the wrong question. So mm, yes. if we if we fast forward, if we think about William Caxton and John the Candlemaker, you know, this was a time when your reach as a business was pretty much as far as someone was willing to walk to get whatever you sold. Mm -hmm. So you had a much smaller customer base. You probably knew most, if not all of your customers. You spent time with them at the pub, you saw them at church, you, your kids went to school together, you saw them on the streets. So it was a much easier process of, I've put up this flyer, how many new people came in, because I would recognize a new person, and how many people came in um, and maybe upped up their spend. So that attribution piece is quite simple. We fast forward to the late 1800s, and all of a sudden, again, Breaking, breaking a buzzword, um, we've got um, the, the beginning of true omni-channel, actually more omni-channel than we have today. Because first of all, we start to have multiple channels and businesses could very easily use them all. Whereas now it's much more difficult to use every channel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the late 1800s, you've got things like newspapers, flyers, um, you know, poster, what we what we now call out of home. So posters and billboards and, you know, outdoor signs and things on the side of a bus. I don't even know what that's called, a bus thing. <laughs> that's a new marketing channel, the bus thing. Um, but we also had the start of um, mail order. So, mm -hmm. you know, mail order started in the 1860s um, 
here in the UK. And in fact, the first ma- sort of mail order only business was here in the UK, globally was here in the UK, it was actually in Wales. Um, and it was founded by a guy called Price Price Jones, and he sold flannel. And one of his products uh, was effectively the first version of a sleeping bag. And he sold to, you know, some really famous people, Florence Nightingale, Queen Victoria. At one point, he had an order for 60,000 um, of these sleeping bags to the Russian army. He was you know, globally known um, and, you know, sold sold things, mail order only, globally. Um, and, and shops started to get involved in that. So now you've got mail order, you've got newspaper, you've got... Um, so is your mail order catalog driving people into the store? Or was it the newspaper ad? And suddenly you really start to get, um, you, know, you just don't have the answer. And what this all let, leads to is what has to be um, what is both the greatest quote and greatest irony in marketing. And the quote is, half my advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. Mm-hmm. Now, the irony part of that is it's a quote about attribution which is attributable to two different people. So we can't even get the quote about attribution right, much less get the attribution itself right. So it's attributable to, uh, if you're an American, uh, a guy called John Wanamaker, who was a Philadelphia retailer. Think, think the John Lewis of Philadelphia. Uh, and if you're English, um, I've always, I always butcher this poor bloke's name, Lord Lever, Leverhulme. Leverhulme. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> uh, anyway, he founded Lever Brothers. <clears throat> Maybe it's Leverhulme. That's not even easier. That's not easier to say either. Anyway, um, so he founded Lever Brothers. They both have apparently said this quote. Actually, there's no documentary evidence uh, that they either one said this quote. Um, and it's, it's, it's more urban myth than anything else. But it does highlight the challenge of then till now. So for the late 1800s up till today, the last 140 years, which is we know that not all the marketing is is working. Not all the advertising is working, but we've got to figure out which, which bit. And in your description or your definition of attribution, you <clears throat> hit upon where I think the problem is. Because if you take that quote and extend it out, so half my advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. Extend it out, and what you end up with is uh, half of my advertising is wasted. Trouble is I don't know which half. You there, head of marketing, go find out which half is wasted. And that's the way we've been going for the last 140 years. Uh, and, and what you end up with is um, where kind of we've gotten to the wrong place with, with attribution. Uh, because everybody, it's, it's very much a, I'm going to do a campaign and I want to know the success of that campaign. Let me, um, let me, let me back. I'm going to tell you a little story about, about myself in the mid nineties. Oh, okay. Interesting. Buckle up I, everyone. Here we go. I had hair then, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, but I worked for a bank. I worked for a retail bank and one of my jobs was, uh, I worked in the customer and marketing information center and it, it was fascinating. We had, um, the, f- well, we had a, single view of our customer. You know, mm-hmm. we had a single customer view and this is back in the, in the mid nineties before anybody had ever heard of, um, single, single customer, customer view, view. <laughs> or, you know, CDPs or anything like that. Yeah. And, um, um, so we, we knew the total relationship that people had with the bank. Um, you know, we had a retail bank, we had a credit card, we had a mortgage division, we had a, a, a securities division. So we knew the entire relationship that every customer, every retail customer had, um, we knew the deposits they had. We knew how how much money we made made off them. Everybody was. We knew the exact profitability for every customer. And then one of my jobs was to overlay uh, all the transactions that they did on top of that. So we had, genuinely had a, a full three hundred and sixty degree single customer view. Um, and w- as part of that um, uh, job, I also had to look at. Every marketing campaign that the bank did in any given quarter and compare the results of the marketing campaign or the reported results of the marketing campaign to our actual revenues. And it was usually, marketing uh, was usually 7x bigger than our actual revenues. So basically every marketing campaign 
was claiming, uh, or marketing was claiming seven pounds, seven dollars of revenue for every dollar we made, mm-hmm. which basically meant they, you know, seven different campaigns were counting the same dollar of revenue. Everybody was everybody was saying, oh, well, that revenue came in because of me. And the reality is, no, yes, that that revenue came in partially because of you, mm-hmm. but you can't claim all of it. But then you get into the, well, what proportion do I claim? And so that, you know, the, the simple, easiest uh, solution was, well, I'm just going to claim the whole thing and let somebody else prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that was we didn't have, you know, computing power. We didn't have the ability to to start to look at what, what was the customer journey? What touch points did they interact with? We, we knew how they interacted with the bank, how they transacted with the bank. Did they do it in a branch? Did they do it at a cash point? Did they, what, whatever. But they, we didn't have was a real clear sense of how did they interact with the marketing? What marketing had they seen? Just because they were on the DM list for a campaign didn't mean they opened it, didn't mean, didn't mean they interacted with it and whatever. Um, and, you know, then it gets even more variable if you start talking about, like, TV and out of home and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that story just perfectly illustrates the issue that I see for a lot of clients even now. So, you know, you saw this in the 90s, but we see it today as well, where the technology for it exists, but not every company is employing that technology. So a lot of the clients that I see are using that last click attribution so whatever it is that drove that last sale through that they can track because obviously like you said if you're doing tv advertising that's not something you can necessarily track unless you're using a specific phone number or a specific offer code or something like that of course but whatever you can track using that as your last point and that is valuable to some extent because it's telling you what that last channel was or that last specific campaign that drove through to the sale but it's not telling you everything that happened before like you said everything that's happened with that life cycle because We know that for somebody to make a purchase or to take an action, it's going to take more than just one thing usually. Usually people don't buy just based on one email or one view of whichever marketing channel it is that you've got. It's a combination of different elements. It's a combination of touch points. And that's certainly why as marketing strategists, what we need to be looking at is that omni-channel approach because we know that if we talk to people through different channels, we have that cohesive message, we're backing up what we're doing, you know, the popularity of retargeting on Facebook, on Google, we know that that works because it continually reminds somebody of your brand, of the product or service that they were looking at. So it really is that continuous journey that we need to be tracking, but so many people aren't able to do that still. Well, you've kind of hit on two two things there. Um, the first one is um, that most attribution models, again, going back to, it's not that the we're wrong, it's that the question we're answering is the wrong question, and therefore we've developed models to answer that question. You know, the question we are trying, to, we, we think we're trying to answer is, here is some revenue, how much did I spend to get it? You know, mm-hmm. what was the, what was the path, the journey to this revenue? And, you know, as you point out, every journey is multiple touches and every journey is then therefore going to be different. So it very quickly becomes a very, very complicated problem to look at any specific transaction and say, you know, the cost of the marketing for this transaction is X because it requires a lot of computation. Mm-hmm. The other uh, fallacy that you've touched on, and I'll, I, I love to pick on last click attribution. Um, don't get me wrong; it, there are some benefits to mm-hmm. it. It's a great analytical tool to know what what is the thing that pushes people over the edge, or when people have made that decision, what for them is the quickest way to get into your website. Um, but as you point out, very few people are going to search on a search term, go to a website, and buy straight away. And with last click attribution, you know, what you get is all the benefit goes to that um, click and you totally ignore the cost of that 
of that click. And let, let me expand on that just a little bit more. So let's say, very typical situation. I need a, I, need, I'm, I pick a wireless mouse because I happen to be looking at my wireless mouse. So I need a wireless mouse. So I'm gonna go to Google and I'm gonna type in wireless mouse. And I'm gonna get a bunch of ads and I'm gonna get a bunch of, uh, 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 you know, um, organic, organic search results. And I'm gonna look at, scroll around the, the first page there. I'm gonna pick a couple that look good. And probably one of those is gonna be something about some sort of uh, site that's gonna compare different wireless mice. So I might go there and do a little bit of research and then go back and I'm, I might search again um, for a specific model or I might just go back to the Google search page and, and click on one of the shopping sites and go to there. And I'm gonna look around um, um, their site and get a price, and then I may back out and go back in, and uh, you know get other prices and start to do some comp comparison. And then I might think, oh well, you know what? Actually, a mate of mine's really good at this kind of thing. I'm going to see him at the pub in two days, so I'll, I'll ask him if he has any any thoughts or any opinions. Right. So um, I just realized the pub has become quite a theme here. <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm, I go see him at the pub. He gives me a suggestion, I go back. Okay, now here's the thing. Let's say in an ideal world, I was on their shopping site and I thought, you know what, I bet you if I sign up for their email, I might get a discount. So I signed up for all their emails. I've all, I've, and they're all brilliant email markers. They were all following best practice and I'm already on the second step of their welcome journey, right? I got the, the, welcome, the first welcome message when I signed up. Now it's a couple of days later and they sent me the second welcome message, the second in the series, and it's great. But I go to back to Google and click on a pay-per-click ad to get back into their site. Well, that second pay-per-click that they had to pay for is actually a negative. Because surely if they'd built any kind of relationship with me, and okay, I, in my example, the purchase of a wireless mouse, and it's a, a quite quick turnaround, but if it was anything bigger, anything more expensive, they've, they've started to build a relationship with me, and they might have done a good job and might have built a strong relationship with me, but if I go to Google to get back into their website, because that's what's easiest for me, they've had to pay for me twice. So either all the marketing in between is wasted cost, or my preference to, to think of, the way I would prefer to think about it is that last click, the cost of that is wasted cost. Because surely there's an email in my inbox that's just as easy to get used to get into their, into their site and it doesn't cost the brand anything. So, you know, last click attribution not only um, ignores everything that happens before that, it also tends to ignore the fact that that's maybe not the cheapest, best way to service the customer. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't highlight that there's some other failing in the process. And, and so that's the challenge that you get. I think you frequently get with, with attribution uh, modeling is, is it, 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 it's great at looking at the history. This is what happened. This is what worked before. You ask a marketer, okay, guess what? I just found 50,000 pounds under the mattress. You can have it if you can tell me how you're gonna spend it in the most efficient way possible. Because I'm also offering this 50,000 pounds to the HR department and to the IT department. And they're both gonna come back with, well, we're gonna spend the 50,000 pounds by buying this or hiring this person, great. And they can then say, if we buy this bit of kit, we're gonna save this much money, the ROI is X. And HR is gonna say, if we hire this person, let's say it's a salesperson, each salesperson generates X amount in sales, the ROI is Y. As a marketer, you're like, oh, I don't know where to put it. So you're gonna make some guesses and then you're gonna make some more guesses about what the return on that's gonna be. And um, you know, very quickly, either the, uh, you know, the HR person or the IT person can look at you and say, okay, but what if, and you've got no answer for that what if, or the, the classic, yeah, but, You've got no answer for that. So um, that's, I think, where attribution is letting us, as it stands now, is letting us down. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. For more specialist advice to help you create email marketing that gets results, visit e-focusmarketing.com. 
So in terms of the, the life cycle side of things, I've got an episode that's going to be coming up soon about that customer journey and using email marketing throughout it. But I think what you've really touched on there is, again, that omni-channel approach and how different channels should be used at different stages of the journey to push people through and definitely attribution modeling if it's used in the right way should be telling you whether or not you're using the right channels at the right time and how effective they are so I think that's a really interesting point in terms of attribution modeling today what are some of the most common models that you see if we can just talk through a few of those we've obviously talked about last click attribution but what else is there that people could be using so I think you can break attribution modeling down into three basic categories, uh, simple, medium, and really hard, um, or hard, harder, and hardest. Uh, although the, the, the simple ones are, are pretty, pretty simple. And those tend to be um, one or a couple click attribution models. So you got last click, that's a one click attribution model. You've got um, first click, which is also a one click attribution model. Uh, and first click is great at discovering what is driving people into your funnel. So again, I wouldn't check any of these attribution models out. Um, they're good analytical tools for different things, but um, you know they're they're not going to help you answer that question. I've got some extra cash. How's the best way to spend it? I agree. Uh, so then you get into the multi-touch models, and you've got um, you know first and last click, which Okay, now you know what got people into the funnel, you, you know what got them to convert, but it ignores everything that happens in between. All that email nurture stuff. Basically, first and last click is, um, well, uh, when I'm feeling particularly cynical, I like to call it the absent dad uh, attribution model. There for the birth, there for the wedding, skips all the teenage years. Um, and, and, and you know, if you're using that kind of model, not surprisingly, PPC... Uh, or, or Google Google advertising is gonna get the lion's share of the of the benefit there because that's what drives people into your funnel in the first place, and that tends to be what people use to get back to your website to buy something. So, if you're an email marketer, that is definitely not the way you want to go. Um, in the B two B side, what a, a great uh, model again as an analytical tool is the W shape model. Um, so basically it's first click, last click, and one click in the middle. And that's a great way to start to identify when people are going from, you know, lead to marketing qualified lead to sales qualified lead. And then, ah, the zigzag model. Uh, the zigzag model is, um, you, you pick some number of important, uh, events or channels or whatever, and you, you give those waiting in all of these models you, you if you uh envisage it you've wherever you're focusing your attribution you've got a, a spike and all the things that you're not focusing on are are down low and basically the down low ones tend to split 10 percent of uh the overall revenue and the the high ones tend to split 90 percent of the overall revenue so in a w model each each of the each of the spikes would get 30 percent of the revenue Okay, got it. And we've got a free download that accompanies this episode that will show you an illustration of these and a little description. So if you want to get your hands on that, and it is going to tell you the next part of the podcast that is a better way to do it. Um, so if you want to get your hands on that, go to e-focusmarketing.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 12 and you'll be able to get your hands on that and skip also has a series of blog posts which i will link to on that download and in the show notes that's going to go into more detail about all of this as well yes yes please check it out because I, I i can already feel some people kind of glazing over and we haven't even got to the math <laughs> part yet this is the trouble with attribution modeling, right? It, it's not simple. There are so many different ways to do it, so many different ways that give you benefits to one extent, but not the other. So there's 
got to be a better way to do this. You know, clients that I see doing this really well, like you said in your, your story when you're at the bank, it can be quite a complex, unique, personalized model. You need a lot of technology behind it. But how do you think we should be approaching attribution modeling now? So we're going to be getting into the, the hardest category, I would assume. But how should we be approaching it? Well, before we... Um before we get to that, I just want to touch on the the most complex attribution models that are out there now, and I, I touch on them only because I, I genuinely think that um, that this could be the ultimate future, uh, and that my approach is is maybe a bit of a stopgap. Um, because what what we're starting to see now is really really complicated attribution models that instead of um, you know, a marketer going in and saying, well, that's an important point and that's an important point and that's an important point and I'm going to assign this value to it and that value to it. You know, we start to look at more points and multiple points. And in some cases, it's um, we look at every point and assign a value to it um, based on where it stands in the the journey. Um, Or a different approach to that same kind of model is we look at every point and we say, every time they hit uh, email, you know, if they hit email, it's it, they get it's seventeen percent of the overall value, and then, you know, then you get into lots of arguments about which channels, you know, should be getting the money and which ones shouldn't, and it gets all very political and very generally quite grumpy. <laughs> so the the most complex model, and these were first developed back in two thousand. So this has been you know everybody recognizes this is a problem. There's this in America, this big industry consortium got together and developed this uh, approach, which looks at every journey individually and every touch point within every journey individually and assigns value to each of those touch points. So at no touch point, you know, if you look at two different people's journeys, even if they had the same touch point in the same relative position from the start or from the end, it wouldn't the value might not be the same because it also took into account what happened before and what happened after. And that was great. And it looked, it, it, it was one of those things, I'm sure it looked great on paper, but this is 2000. So what didn't we have in 2000? Most people didn't have a real good handle on their data. Their data was a bit here, there, and everywhere. Um, what you definitely need for that kind of process is a lot of cheap storage and computing power. And we didn't really have that either. Right? That was, this is before the cloud. And the third thing you need for that approach is um, some machine learning or artificial intelligence, which we also didn't have access to. So now we have access to all those things. So I think you might start seeing some of those kinds of models emerge. The problem ultimately with those is going to be um, the computing is cheap. I mean, the processing is cheap and the AI is cheap. Um, and people got a good handle on their data, but it's still going to cost a lot of money to put those things together, to build those models out. So um, I, I think we're still quite a ways down the road on those. So my approach is is um, uh, a completely different approach. Instead of asking, did my marketing work? And how much did my marketing contribute to this particular sale? I take a step back and I'd say, Over the course of a period of time, how much value is my marketing delivering to the business? And, uh, you know, I'd love to come up with some fancy way to describe it. I'm a CMO. I want to rebrand everything. But it's really just a cohort analysis, right? You're just looking at your customer base, grouping them by the channels they interact with over that period of time, um, and starting to look at how much revenue that group of customers brought in. Okay, so we could, we're still looking at interactions only. So with attribution modeling, the issue that we're still going to have, even at this level, is those marketing channels where we don't know of an interaction. So if they see a TV ad, for example, or if they see an out-of-home ad, or if they receive an email and don't open or click on it, there's still nothing that we can do in terms of attributing to those, is there? Um. Uh, well, uh, yes and no is the answer to your question. Um, because for the email, for example, we could create a cohort of people that receive the email 
and a separate cohort or a sub cohort, I guess, of people that clicked on the email. So mm -hmm. we, yep. you know, we could be looking at, uh, all right, people that received the email but didn't click, um, they generated X amount of revenue. Um, yeah, people that received uh, email and clicked generated Y amount of revenue. And then, of course, if you divide the amount, total revenue by the number of people in the cohort, you get an average um, revenue per, per person. And hopefully, the average revenue per person in your click cohort is higher than in your non-click cohort. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's not always the case. I've seen situations where that wasn't the case, but, mm -hmm. you know, it should, it should generally, generally be the case. Now, when you get to out of home, yeah, there it's going to be very hard very hard to track, but even with TV, you know, TV is getting um, much smarter with with you know, um, digital TV. You know, everybody's getting uh, different ads, especially if you're if you're on the, you know, watching it on you having recorded it or downloaded it. You're getting a set of ads that's aimed at you, rather than the um, kind of the old fashioned TV model, which was you're getting the ads that are aimed at the show itself, not necessarily mm -hmm. at you in your home. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know that. I, I learned that reasonably recently, actually, and I find that fascinating that we are starting to move towards this because there's so much data coming back. Um, you know, I'm surprised that that didn't happen earlier, but it's fantastic that it is happening now. So excellent, a lot more tracking, a lot more data. You do get you do get some weird results with that though. So um, <laughs> uh, this actually happened just. Oh no! Just, what have you been advertised, night. Skip? Um, so I was watching a. Uh, it was one of my guilty pleasure TV shows. It's really it's not a, it's not, you know it's it's not uh, Game of Thrones level TV mm -hmm. or Chernobyl okay, level TV. Okay, tell us this what is, it is. Uh, so I, I kind of rotate between um, uh, SWAT. Hawaii Five O and NCIS Los Angeles. Old those, school, those nice. Yeah, well, yeah, they're all remakes, but they're all pretty, <laughs> you know, action based and and kind of crime based, and there's lots of shooting and and stuff. And I thought you were going to tell me you're watching Love Island or something like that. No, no, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, not that there's but, anything wrong with Love Island, but I no, just no. didn't think it was your style. <laughs> it's not. I'm not in their demographic, and I think they're no. okay with that. Um, but interestingly, and, and, you know, this could be some sort of unconscious bias on, on my part, but I'm watching these three shows and, and I was watching SWAT the other day. Um, and it was a particularly, you know, kind of gung-ho, action-packed episode. And um, because I was, I was doing some work at the same time, so it was just kind of on in the background, I wasn't fast-forwarding to the commercials. And I was g getting some really bizarre commercials relative to the show. So I was getting uh, uh, commercials very, very much aimed at women. And um, I thought, is, is, are these companies buying this time in this show? Or is this AdSense targeting me? Because it doesn't know it's me. It just knows mm -hmm. it's somebody in my house. <laughs> and yeah. I don't watch as much TV as... Uh, the other two people in my house, my wife and my daughter. So I was wondering if, if you know, it suddenly there was a bit of a disconnect because it thought that one of them was watching the show and the show was a little out of character for them, but it was most likely them and therefore they picked ads that would fit, would be better targeted to them than to me. Mm -hmm. Or they also somehow know that I'm the one that's primarily responsible for doing the laundry in our house. And they were actually, you know, targeting that personal ad at me and they got that information some other way. That's also possible and equally scary. I think that's a topic for another episode. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Is your phone listening to you? Discuss. Oh, let's not even get into that. Let's not go there. <laughs> and if I say the A word, then the, the device is going to start up next to me. So I'm not even going to say the A-L-E-X-A word. So let's not even go there with devices listening. But in terms of the, the attribution modeling and the model that you are proposing, how do we get started with it? Do you want to kind of run us through the, the main strand of it and how it works? Yeah. So it, just a, as a quick example... Um, so you've got, 
let's say you're doing Google advertising and email. Yeah, so you're doing some PPC and mm -hmm. some email. So you've really only got three cohorts in that ex in that example. You've got uh, the Google advertising only, you've got the email only, and then you've got email and advertising. And you have to remember this is over the course of a period of time. Mm -hmm. And that period of time can vary. Um, it I tend to think of it as either use your normal business cycle or the average time between purchases is good. So for a lot of people, it's quite a long, long period of time. As I said, you wanna get the value of each of these groups. So you got three groups and you wanna get the value of each of these groups. So for your uh, AdWord only group or your, your advertising, your Google advertising only group, um, you know, how much do they spend over the course of that business cycle, your email only group, and then your, your both group. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you wanna just figure out your overall ROI, uh, you, you know, you subtract the amount you spent on those two channels um, from the, the revenue you got. That gives you the return. And, you know, it's a typical ROI calculation. It's pretty, pretty mm -hmm. straightforward. Um, and that right there, so many businesses that, uh, you know, I've worked with historically can't even calculate the ROI, much less start to get into what is the, you know, what, which of these channels is, is driving value. But of course, if you can calculate the ROI at the at the three at the two channel level, you can also calculate the ROI at the individual channel level, um, and you just you know divide proportionally or or you know come up with a a, a logical way. It's either fifty fifty or proportional for your email and Google advertising joint cohort. Okay, so if you had a hundred different channels, you'd have a hundred channels individually that you work out how much was spent when they came through and made a purchase from them individually. And then you'd have those hundred channels combined. So when somebody had a touch point with each of those hundred channels in combination over time, how much was then spent? Is that correct? Yeah. Let's not do a hundred channels because that's a kind of unrealistic okay, 10 and, channels. And B, it's like <laughs> a really big number. But so if you have two channels, then you can, the maximum number of cohorts you can have is, is three. If okay. you have, uh, and this, uh, this is going to go quickly wrong. The, if you have, um, three channels, then the maximum number of cohorts you can have is, uh, six, seven is seven. Um, if I did my math right, and I did that in my head. So if I didn't do it right, please don't tweet out, oh, Skip, can't do math. Um, <laughs> so talk us through that. So if you have three channels, you have channel one, channel two, channel three only. Let's, let's, let's go ABC. So you got ABC okay. channels. Yep. So you got ABC. Those are three cohorts. Yep. Then you've got AB. That's a fourth. Yep. BC. That's a fifth. AC. That's a sixth. And ABC. That's a seventh. Got it. Boom. Okay. I did it right. Oh. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> Mic drop. I'm done. Um, so, yeah, the more channels you have, the more complex this is going to get. But let's also be reasonable, right? So let's go back to, let's say we've got our ABC scenario. And I'm, it doesn't matter what the channels are, but you've got, you know, 100,000 customers or 10,000 customers, and you've got, you know, a few thousand in each of your buckets, except for AC, which has like 100 if the if the number of people in that bucket and the total revenue in that bucket is really not that big a deal, I wouldn't kill yourself, um, you know, doing that analysis. I wouldn't I wouldn't go to that extra bit of trouble. Keep an eye on it for sure, because if you get a spike, uh, you don't want to ignore it. Similarly, if the revenue in that bucket is very very high, and the number of people in that bucket is very very low. Well, actually, you want to drive as many people into the AC bucket as you can. So all your A people and all your C people, you want to build a strategy to, to get them to switch, you know, cross-channel. One of the things that I think every marketer suffers from is a little bit of OCD. And it's, I've got to, I've got to analyze every combination and permutation. And that's one of the reasons why traditional uh, attribution modeling starts to fall down because instead of looking at the five most common journeys, we want to look at all the journeys. Um, instead of saying we got the five most common and then we've got the other, which is everything else kind of thing. Okay, I see. So with your model, if we're looking at the ABC cohort, it doesn't matter if they went through 
CBA or BAC, or it doesn't matter what order they went through, as long as they touched all three of those, they would end up in that cohort. Correct. Correct. Order order doesn't matter. Yep. Because remember, this is people who touched any of the channels uh, over the period of the business cycle. Okay, fantastic. And again, get hold of that download and look at Skip's blog series if you want to go into more detail on how you work out the maths of this side of things. It's very obviously hard to explain when we're on a podcast, but to me that makes total sense. So how do people get started with this? What is it oh, that they need oh, to yeah, do to Oh, yeah, you're quite your original with? question. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's get back to your question. Let's get to that. Oh. Jeez, I feel like I'm on BBC Breakfast all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> so... It, it's it. I'm going to make it sound easier than it really is, and I, I and I don't want to underestimate some of the challenges that everybody would face in putting this stuff together. But you know, in my glass half half full, rose tinted glasses world, uh, you identify your channels, you identify who interacts with each channel over the business cycle, and put those into groups. Uh, you identify the total revenue for each group, and you do some math. First, to calculate the ROI for each group, but then you can get into some more ex uh, extensive things. You can start to calculate um, the average value for each group. So you take the total revenue for each group divided by the total number in each group, and that gives you the average value for each member of the group. Let's say that that works out to be five pounds for that group. Well, that means that if you're spending more than five pounds to acquire new members into that group, over your first business cycle, you're losing money. And that might be okay. You might be okay with that. If you're selling something that's got a long consideration uh, period, then it might be okay that, or, or you've got a frequent repeat purchase. It might be okay that you lose money in that first, in that first uh, uh, business cycle. But you, you, you ought to know that. And if you look at the people who purchase so they're the people that drove the value, right? So the total number of people, the people that purchase, and you take that number um, and divide it into the total revenue. That gives you the average value, basically gives you the average order value um, over the business cycle, the average revenue value over the business cycle for um, the purchasers. And the difference between that and the average value gives you a really good sense of how much you can discount before you start to lose money. Mm -hmm. So it tells you how much you can discount to convert somebody from a non-purchaser to a purchaser uh, and still have make margin in in that on that transaction. OK, so this is where you need to understand your attribution model. You need to understand your acquisition costs to get somebody in initially. You've also then got to understand your ongoing marketing costs in terms of retention and bringing them back to buy again and your customer lifetime value so that you can make sure that even after that first purchase with those additional marketing costs you're still making that money back so this is where it's starting to bring all of those numbers together so you can really work out what's working for you what's not and move that budget accordingly that's exactly right and what this gives you uh or you know, if, if you're if you're a, the email marketing person, uh, or you know, uh, you're you're down in the trenches, and you're not the one going to those those board meetings or those budget decision meetings. What it will give the person that goes to those meetings, what it give your boss is, she'll be able to go in and say, okay, so I can tell you that this channel is driving this much value. The average value of the people interacting with that channel is this. And if you give me 50,000 pounds, I'm gonna put it here, and this is what our expected return is gonna be. And everybody else around the table is gonna be like, oh, marketing's never been able to do that before. You might not always get the money, but at least you got a, you got a better shot of getting that money. Yeah, definitely, okay. So what's the one piece of advice that you would give to somebody starting out to get to that attribution model? What should they do? Just get started is, uh, you know, that one piece of advice. Mm -hmm. Too often, again, as marketers and are, are a little bit of OCD, um, we want the formulas to be perfect. We want the strategy to be bang on right before we get started. We try to get all of our ducks in a row before we get started. Um, think about the concept of minimum viable product, or in this case, minimum viable marketing. Mm -hmm. Just get started with whatever channels that you can get the data for easily. 
is it going to give you all the answers? No, but it'll make you a lot smarter than you are today. Um, and once you can start to prove the value, that becomes the business case to get the resource, to get the other data that you can't get at, um, get access to, get that unlocked for you and start putting it into your model. Definitely. I think from my side, it would be don't throw out your current attribution model. Use it alongside building up a more comprehensive model. Because like we said earlier, there's definitely a use case and value in looking at last click, first click, W model, you know, whatever it is that you're using right now, don't throw it out, see it for the value that it provides, but start working towards that more comprehensive model that's going to give you a better overall view as well, whatever that may be for you. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the one um, thing I would add to that is in the short term, you're going to have to keep those models anyway, because that's what the rest of the business is used to seeing. And and so to, to get rid of those is going to cause you no end of, of headache. When you're at a position where you, where you can start to phase those out, don't phase them out. Keep them as analytical tools, but listen to the fractional CMO, rebrand them. <laughs> so instead of calling it last click attribution, call it conversion analysis or, uh, you know, instead of calling it first click attribution, call it um, acquisition analysis, acquisition analysis. That's a great one. You know, <laughs> just rebrand it. So it's, a, it's the exact same thing, but because you've called it something different, people won't confuse it because what you don't want to end up with is a situation where um, you're still calling something last click attribution. And that's what the business is used to seeing. And if they still see that in a slide presentation or on a, in a report somewhere, that's what they'll focus on. They won't focus on the new stuff because they don't understand it and they don't like change. So, but if you rebrand it, then, oh, well, that went away. Well, what are we using now? Oh, we're using this new thing. Oh, that's actually pretty straightforward. Oh, okay. And they'll, and they'll adopt it. Fantastic. Skip, that was a brilliant explanation. And I think it really just highlights how much there is to attribution modeling and how it's definitely something that we've got to get started with and working on those more comprehensive models if we don't have them already. So thank you so much for going through all of that. And thank you for joining me today. Oh, Kate, I've really had a good time. Thanks for having me on. So that's it for today's Intelligence Masterclass. I hope you found it as useful as I certainly have. Don't forget, if you want the free download that accompanies this episode, head over to e-focusmarketing.com forward slash podcast forward slash episode 12. I'll also put a link to Skip's blog series in the show notes and in that download as well. So you can go and explore this topic in more detail. I've got loads more fantastic content planned for you in 2020, so watch this space. And if there's a specific subject you'd like me to explore on the podcast, or you simply want to reach out, say hi, or discuss how we can work together to skyrocket your email marketing, email me at kate at e-focusmarketing.com. And don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast provider you're listening through. Follow us on YouTube for more video-based content and find eFocus Marketing on all the socials. Thanks for listening. Intelligence, energizing your email marketing with Kate Barrett. Head to our website for downloads and show notes, e-focusmarketing.com slash intelligence. E-focus